Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the 24th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Today, my guest is Jonathan Mayberry, suspense and horror writer and comic book scripter. Stay tuned for my interview with Jonathan Mayberry. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Tonight, my guest is Jonathan Mayberry. Jonathan's first novel, Ghost Road Blues, won the 2007 Bram Stoker Award for Best First Novel. That book was the first of the Pine Deep trilogy and was followed by Dead Man's Song and Bad Mood and Rising. Mayberry's latest series, featuring Joe Ledger, debuted last year with a zombie thriller, Patient Zero, and his latest novel, The Dragon Factory, was just published by St. Martin's Press and is in bookstores now. He also wrote the movie tie-in novelization to the remake of The Wolfman, featuring Benicio Del Toro and Anthony Hopkins, which just came out in movie theaters. Mayberry is also a comic book writer and is currently the writer for Marvel Comics' Black Panther series, and he's written for Mar- and he wrote Marvel Zombies Return Wolverine, in addition to other comics. Jonathan, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Happy to be here, Jeff. Sure, sure. Well, I'm curious if, if someone hasn't read one of your Joe Ledger novels, Patient Zero and now The Dragon Factory, what can they expect with The Dragon Factory? Can you give us a sense of what the novel's about? Yeah, it, if you can imagine a, a kind of a cross between X-Files and 24, um, the bad guys in this particular story are two competing groups of geneticists who are using uh, cutting-edge transgenics to uh, create... Um, a new version of the Nazi master race program and also to uh, for ethnic cleansing. And the group that's opposing them, Joe Ledger and the Department of Military Sciences, the DMS, uh, their, you know, their whole operational uh, uh, profile is to stop groups with exotic, you know, uh, science threats. So there are a combination science geeks and rapid response, you know, f- uh, first team shooters. 
Great, great. So it's a, a combination of, of, of action and also kind of scientific extrapolation as well. Yeah, so a lot of it's based on what is actually happening right now in, in science. It's just a little bit forward of what we can do now, but not beyond what is possible. And uh, unfortunately, what is probable. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, at the outset, I discussed your novels, including Ghost Road Blues, your first novel that won the Bram Stoker Award. But you've also written nonfiction, including Vampire Universe, Zombie CSU, and others. I, I wonder, what is it about supernatural zombies and monsters that appeal to you? And more importantly, what do you think appeals to readers, why they appeal to readers? Well, my, my background is nonfiction. I, I was a nonfiction guy for the first 25 years of my career, uh, writing magazine articles and textbooks and all sorts of things. But my love of, of the supernatural goes back to my childhood. I, uh, I had a very, very spooky grandmother. Uh, she believed in what she called the larger world. She believed in vampires and ghosts and, and pretty much all of, of the, the supernatural things she believed that uh, made up the world in which we live. So that's what I, I learned about before I even read fiction, before I saw horror movies. I was learning about you know, that, that viewpoint. And whereas I don't believe you know, quite everything that she believed, it, it's left me with an extremely open mind and a very curious one. Um, so I've always been fascinated by the belief systems that people have, where they're similar, where they're different, and how um, many beliefs there are around the world. So after spending a lot of years doing other types of writing, in 2001, I decided to, to take a swing at writing a book that would explore uh, belief systems on things like vampires and werewolves around the world and throughout history. And it was because of that early book um, it changed my career from predominantly writing martial arts articles and martial arts books to being a horror guy for quite a while, and now now a thriller guy. And, and what was that book? That was called The Vampire Slayer's Field Guide to the Undead, and it was the only book I've ever written under a pen name. It was written under the name of Shane MacDougall, uh, MacDougall being my middle name and Shane being the Scottish for John. Uh, the reason I used the pen name, my publisher, I was with a small press at the time, and that publisher was afraid that if my martial arts readers uh, saw that I was writing about vampires, they would think I'd, you know, had some sort of a neurological accident. Um, so he asked me to use a pen name. I had just gotten into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame, so he was trying to protect my reputation. Turns out that the martial arts readers loved the vampire book, and they figured <laughs> it was. So, you know, there we go. Great. Well, I'm curious about that. Um, what what was the the path to publication for you? You you mentioned that you. Um, spent all of these years writing nonfiction, and, and then you just described your transition from what was nonfiction uh, about martial arts to the transition to, to writing about monsters and the supernatural. I, I'm curious about, um, had you always been interested in writing, or were you first interested in martial arts and then decided to write about it? And, and I was also curious, kind of along the same lines, when you were writing the nonfiction, were you always, um, did you always have the idea of writing fiction, or were you were you trying fiction even then? Well, I've I've, I've always wanted to write. I mean, I, I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't want to be a storyteller. In fact, in I remember very clearly in third grade when when they asked us what we wanted to be when we grew up. Most of the kids were like firemen, nurse, cop. You know, I said storyteller. So it's, it's always been what I've wanted to do. Uh, I got involved 
in martial arts when I was a little kid. Um, but I'd already started, you know, already been telling stories using, you know, when I, before I could write, I used toys to tell stories. So I was always, always a storyteller. Uh, when I went to college, um, I went to Temple University. At the time, they did not have any creative writing programs. So I went up taking the only writing programs I could, which, which was journalism. And that kind of steered me in the path of nonfiction for quite a bit. I, uh, I've, I've sold about 1,200 magazine feature articles and, and uh, quite a few columns. And I've written all sorts of stuff. I got some very good early advice that you know I shouldn't lock myself into one kind of writing. So I've 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 done plays, I've done greeting cards, song lyrics, short stories, a little bit of everything. Um, it, however, it was after I'd uh, written those those uh, my first two nonfiction books on folklore that I got the idea to try fiction. And I never really thought that I would become a novelist. That that wasn't part of my game plan. Um, but I figured, why not? And what, what inspired it was I was writing about these, these, these bizarre variations on the vampire myth and wondering why nobody in fiction really tackled that. Most of the vampires that we see in fiction are, are retreads of the Dracula myth. And, you know, when Bram Stoker did Dracula, he veered quite a bit away from folklore and um, even got some of his research wrong. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to, to write the, the kind of folklorically inspired fiction that I myself would go out and buy. So I wrote the book, I wrote a, a novel that I would read. I had no idea it, it would even sell. And um, that was Ghost Road Blues. Gotcha. That, that's, that's an interesting path to publication. And, and during the time when you were writing nonfiction, were you, were you reading fiction? Were you, were you a, a, a big reader? You know, it's funny thing about that. Most people I know who write, uh, nonfiction, don't read fiction, but I've always read fiction. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've been reading, I, I remember when I was eight years old, I brought my, bought my first novel, which was Conan the Wanderer, and I still have it. Uh, and I grew up reading the Ed McBain and John D. MacDonald books, I, I, all of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Doc Savage. You know, I grew up reading everything I can get my hands on, and that itself was a little strange because I came from a, uh, an environment, a very poor section of Philadelphia, very blue-collar section, where reading and education were, were not heavily encouraged, and it was not encouraged within my own family. Mm -hmm. But I had to read, and I just read. And luckily, my grandmother um, was very much into reading, and she would let me keep my books at her house and was always encouraging me to read. Uh, when I was 14, I, I was lucky enough to meet a couple of very famous writers, Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury, and uh, they gave me a tremendous amount of, uh, of encouragement and advice and, you know, both of them said, you know, if you if you want to be a writer, don't let anything stop you. And nothing has. And how did that meeting come about? How did that happen? Uh, it's funny. I was in a, a middle school in Philly that uh, did not have a high academic standard. And um, the, the English class had bored me to tears. So they put me pretty much they gave me to the librarian and they said, here, do something <laughs> with them for a couple of years. And so I had been, almost an almost an independent study for a couple of years uh, with this librarian and she was the secretary for a group of professional uh, science fiction and fantasy writers that met occasionally in Philadelphia. And uh, she dragged me along to the meetings. And at the time, I had been reading mostly crime fiction, so I really didn't know some of these guys. And this is so, so here I am at 14 years old, and I'm basically hustling beers and, and chips for you know Arthur C. Clarke and Ray Bradbury and Harlan Ellison and, and uh, guys like that. And they're all competing to try to get me to be the one... 
competing to uh, with each other for me to fall in love with their books. And uh, <laughs> so every, every time I'd come, they'd have they'd have a stack of signed books for me. And uh, I mean, it was it was amazing. I look back on it now, and I, I God, I. Uh, I wish I'd even asked them more questions than I did, but they they were so insanely generous with their advice and their support, and just good guys. You know, they were really good people. It was marvelous. That's that's great. That's a wonderful story. I, I'm curious about martial arts because, to be honest with you, I I was aware of your I was aware of your work. I had had bought Ghost Road Blues when it came out. And and picked up Patient Zero, and and we had traded emails when Patient Zero came out mm-hmm. about doing a uh, an interview, and now we're finally getting around to it. But when I started doing research for interviewing you, I, I discovered this martial arts background, which I had never known. And I'm curious about that. Uh, when did you originally get interested in martial arts? You you mentioned earlier that it was at a young age, and and I know that you're. Um, in the martial arts hall of fame, I'm just curious if you could talk about that and your experience in martial arts. Sure, I, I actually got involved in martial arts because of I was in a fairly abusive environment as a kid, and the father of a friend of mine um, kind of uh, dragged me along to some lessons. It was one of those things where abuse wasn't talked about in the early '60s, but you know, the, the, this this friend's father dragged me to the martial arts school. Uh, didn't necessarily mention it too much to my parents. And I, I, so around the time I was six or seven, I was, I was uh, just when I was starting school, I was also going to martial arts classes. And I stayed with it long past the point when I needed it for, you know, protection at home, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been practicing jiu-jitsu for about 46 years now. And um, I, I went up teaching martial arts history and women's self-defense at Temple University for 14 years. And I've, I've written extensively about it. I've, I've been a teacher for many years, and I uh, even had a business for a while uh, called CopSafe, where uh, we gave uh, arrest and control workshops to law enforcement officers of all kinds, including SWAT. And uh, that was, uh, you know, it's been an interesting career. Most of my life, I've been, you know, directly or actively involved in teaching martial arts of one, uh, in one kind or another, um, and self-defense, which is a, some people don't realize is not quite the same thing as martial arts. Right. Right. That, that's that's interesting because, as you probably may know, Joe Lansdale, yes, horror writer or beyond horror writer, um, just just writer, is is a martial artist, and and yes. you, I, I'm curious if you if you ever have thought about if if you feel there's been any kind of connection between the martial arts and writing, whether it's persistence and teaching you persistence or, or, or maybe I'm just saying that. Do you feel there's been any kind of connection? Oh, absolutely. Martial arts is a, is a mar- remarkably uh, wonderful thing for, for teaching discipline, for teaching focus and for cutting right through it and getting, you know, finding out what it is you need to say or do and getting it done. Uh, I credit my martial arts training uh, as one of the most significant factors in my, uh, my writing career. Um, it te- you know it taught me to to do it and get it done, and to stick with it. Uh, in mar- you know I, I, after all those years in martial arts, I, I'm not a big one for giving up on something before it's done. And uh, you know with the writing business, 
before I was successful, I was, you know, one, just another one of those guys who was struggling and not knowing whether all that work was going to pay off. If I didn't have the discipline and didn't have um, the the experience with with you know continuing to try to not be deterred, I might have given up. And uh, you know, figure I I didn't become a full time successful writer until about uh, six years ago. Uh, Most you know before that I was working you know day jobs and writing on the side. If I had if I didn't have something that that kept me going and and gave me confidence, I might have given up before my break happened. And uh, life would have been a lot different and a lot less pleasant had that happened. Interesting. So I wanted to talk about your your work in comics. You you mentioned earlier reading crime fiction, and you're you're writing for Marvel Comics now. I mentioned earlier you're writing the the Black Panther series. I'm curious, as a kid, were you also reading comics as well? I mean, were you reading uh, were you reading Marvel and DC back then? Yeah, I, I was a I was a Marvel guy from from the beginning. Uh, when I was eight years old, 1966, I uh, walked into a comic book store and, and picked up Fantastic Four number uh, 68. That was my first comic, and I, I just I thought it was wow, this is this is cool. You know, I'd seen other kids read comics and I'd read Archie comics, but I hadn't read superhero comics. Right, and I, I you know, they were twelve cents a, a piece, and I, I had uh, I was eight years old, and I, I'd actually helped. I made a few few dollars bagging groceries, you know, uh, unofficial job at the, the Acme. And I went and spent it on some comics. And I was absolutely captivated. This is the old Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, sure. you know, Fantastic Four. And around that time, you know, I started buying up uh, some back issues and, and anything new that came out. And one of, the, one of the, the ironies is one of the characters that was introduced around that time was the Black Panther. He was introduced first in Fantastic Four. And he was also the very first black superhero in comics ever now i'm i'm living in a neighborhood that is fiercely racist white racist and here i'm reading about a you know a character who's a black superhero i'm like wow that's really pretty amazing i you know that isn't the sort of information i'm hearing about about you know blacks from my own neighborhood and um and then a couple years later they they did a, a fantastic four comic about apartheid nobody talked about that this is 1971 now so I, I learned about apartheid, you know, from a comic book. So a lot of what I learned about about values, you know, either I got from martial arts or I got from from superhero comics. And uh, it's if the funny thing is, Marvel didn't know about my having learned about apartheid from from Fantastic Four and Black Panther when they offered me the Black Panther comic. It was just one of those happy coincidences that makes my grandmother's belief in the larger world seem very very likely. <laughs> <laughs> and how did that how did that happen? How did you get offered the the work in comics? Was it something that you were pitching along with writing novels, or was that an offer that came from from Marvel? Uh, it came from Marvel, but you know it was it, it. I was planning to pitch. I was talking discussing with my agent how how to pitch to comics because I knew some other guys who had just started writing for for comics, and I, I wanted in on that because that sounded too much fun. But you know, none of them had actually pitched. They'd, they'd been approached, and I was trying. You know, I hadn't yet been approached. I'm thinking, all right, well, how do I how do I get my foot in the door? Well, it turns out uh, the editor at St. Martin's, who who edited uh, Patient Zero, sent that book to Marvel, and the editor at Marvel, Axel Alonso, read it and liked what he saw. And then I got a phone call one day. It was one of those weird things. I get a phone call, you know, and it's it's Axel Alonso, editor and an executive editor at Marvel. 
asking if I'd be interested in writing for Marvel. And it was such an absurd question. You know, it's like, <laughs> are, you, are you freaking kidding me here? And um, uh, I, uh, I said, yeah, I think I might be interested, possibly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, You need to talk to my agent. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm experienced enough now in my in, in my my craft that I always tell them to talk to my agent. Even and I'm glad this is happening on the phone because physically I'm doing the Snoopy dance. Yeah, exactly. My voice on the phone is, you know, of course, calm, controlled, you know, yeah. You know. And um, my agent worked out the details, and we were all happy with with the arrangement and. Uh, Axel you know, asked me to, to, to write a, uh, it was a Punisher comic originally, uh, one shot. And I did that. And then they gave me a Wolverine eight pager to do backup story. And then right after that, they, they, they said, well, how, how would you like to be the regular writer for black Panther? You know, it's like, uh, that's the second stupidest question I've ever been asked after. Would you like to write for Marvel? Yeah. <laughs> and so so what are you working on in terms of comics? I mean, outside of the Black Panther, what what can people look for? Well, the Black Panther is kind of put on hold now because we're doing Doom War, which spun off of that. Uh, it's a six-issue a six limited series where the Fantastic Four, X-Men, Deadpool, and two Black Panthers, the original one and his sister, who's the current Black Panther, go to war against Doctor Doom. And I'm in the middle of writing that right now. And the first issue just sold out, and it's, uh, and it's getting great reception. So I'm, I'm writing that, and I'm also writing something called Marvel Infected, which is a uh, a limited series that starts in August uh, that deals with the Punisher and Spider-Man and a few other characters in a kind of a dystopian alternate future. And it's very gritty and uh, very bizarre and very violent. I'm having a blast writing that. So th those are the two products I'm doing for Marvel at the moment. So I'm curious if someone's listening to this podcast and, and primarily the the writers that I've interviewed in the past are fiction writers. I primarily suspense thrillers, fantasy, mm -hmm. science fiction, and, and mainly novels. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the process of writing a comic book, just in terms of the mechanics. Is it similar to uh, movie scripts? Is that would would that be the, the closest uh, movie, description? Movie yeah, movie or TV. Um, it is definitely a scripted format, and it's a collaborative process. Unlike a novel, where you know it's your entire vision, every every part of it's your vision. Uh, in comics, you're part of a team, and you can't let your ego, you know, get get too uh, overbearing because the artist has, is going to have uh, his say. Uh, the inker, the penciler, the inker, uh, the editor, everyone's going to have some say in in the way the comic turns out, as it should be, because it, you're writing someone else's product. You know, I, I didn't invent the Black Panther. I didn't invent Punisher. You know, I'm coming in to work in their house, so to speak. Sure. Um, so the, the process is the editor usually, if the editor has a certain thing in mind, he may say, All right, I, I, need a, uh, I need a story for such and such. Like with Marvel Zombies Return, uh, it was, I was writing issue three of a five-issue series. And they, they told me in, in a very short paragraph what the story had to accomplish. And then they wanted me to pitch back to them how I would do that in 22 pages. So I do what's called a beat sheet, which lays out how the story would break down over 22 pages. Um, editor comes back with notes, and then you write the script. And in the script, the writer tells the artist what the images are going to be. You know, the writer sets a number of panels. 
Um, the writer decides what images are in each panel and, you know, you write that description and then you also write the script itself. Used to be in Marvel that it was kind of the, uh, way longer that the artist would draw it and then the writer would come in and put the word balloons in. Well, that hasn't happened in a long time. The writer actually has to write the script. However, it, the editor may make some changes and then the artist may make suggestions for changing the visual storytelling because that's his A game. And if you're smart, you listen to a good artist because, you know, they, they know what visually will, will tell the story as well. So you're back and forth with them a little bit to create the most successful possible comic. And um, I, I've been fortunate enough to work with some fantastic artists. And I have a very, very good editor in Axel Alonso. He, he has a very strong vision. In fact, he's now vice president at Marvel. Uh, just got promoted. And uh, he has a very strong vision for what makes a successful comic. And uh, that's something that's all you do have in, in novels as well. If you have a really good editor, you can have a more successful book because they're not telling you how to write, but they can make suggestions on how to revise the book to make it the most saleable possible product. And this is a business. Gotcha. That's that's interesting. I'm curious, given your your career, as we've talked about both in nonfiction and your transition to fiction and branching into comic books, what advice when you're when you're doing speaking engagements and presentations? What advice do you give aspiring writers and people who may be interested in having a, a career in fiction? Well, the most important things, uh, and I, I do a, a lot of these talks with with aspiring writers, and I, I, I run some writers groups for people who are trying to break. Most important thing is you got to you got it's got to be fun. If it's not fun, if it looks like it's hard work. If it feels like it's hard work, it's going to read like it's hard work. So you've got to have fun. And the best way to have fun is don't write to please anyone. Write to please yourself. Write the story that you would have the most fun reading. So you write, the writer writes for his inner reader. Um, that way the story is honest and, you're, and, and it's going to be clear that you're having fun while writing it. So that, that's one bit of advice. Second, um, with, with writers... Too many of, of the, the writers I know who have really good stories give up because they get trapped in this re revision thing. They're trying to write a first draft as if it's a final draft. And you can't. Nobody can. The first draft is, is all about story, and it's a, it's a separate part of the brain than the craft, than, than the, the, the part of you that goes in there and pretties it up. Craft can be learned. Storytelling, you're either born with or not. So you let the storyteller do his thing, and you do it completely, all the way to the end, to the final word of the first draft. You buy yourself a present and celebrate the fact you finished the first draft, and then, and only then, you go back and revise. That way, you're playing to your strengths, but in stages. And I know so many folks who, who get about a third of the way through the book, and they think that they need to go back and rewrite it, and they get caught in a loop that never ends. And as a result, they don't get a good piece of writing out or they don't complete anything. Gotcha. I'm curious, who are some of the writers that you enjoy reading? Oh boy. That's a, that's a long list because I read in a <laughs> lot of different genre. Um, I, I've, and also there are a lot of friends of mine who are, uh, are writers and, you know, I, I read everything they write and in some degree, that's how we've become friends. John Connolly, James Lee Burke, you know, I'll, I'll snatch any book they put out the second it's out. Uh, I think they're two of the finest writers we have right now. They're they're a nice nice balance of lyrical, 
and uh, good storytelling and craftsmanship, just fantastic stuff. Uh, love John Sanford. Um, really, really love his, especially his Virgil Flowers series. Uh, I've, I've been, I just recently got the S.M. Sterling's books, the alternate uh, history books, and I found them, the research in those fascinating. But there, there are some, you know, uh, I'm still a fan of Matheson and, and, and Bradbury and, and uh, those guys. Joe Lansdale, you mentioned him earlier. I love his Hap Collins, Leonard Pine books. Absolutely gobbled them up. Um, and they're just, I mean, I could really, I could do this all night talking about my favorite writers. I have exactly. a stack of books that uh, I'm just now trying to get to. And um, those I can't read in print, I get on disc to listen to them on disc. So I'm always, always, you know, gobbling up uh, tons and tons of great writers out there. And, we're, and I tell you, it, it's, it's wonderful that almost everyone I read, I know. And that, that's a fantastic thing. It's something new now that I'm a novelist. That's great. That's great. James Lee Burke is wonderful, and and a lot of the others that you mentioned as well. Oh yeah, and David Morrell, Lee Child. I mean, there's so many great writers out there. Yeah. So what's up next for you? I, I mentioned earlier your latest novel, The Dragon Factories, in bookstores now. What can we look for next? It's good. it's actually a pretty busy year. I mean, The Wolfman just came out, and um, I'm uh, going to be doing some a bunch of short stories I, I, I'm doing and will be coming. Uh, some some are coming out in the anthologies. One just came out in the New Dead, an anthology of zombie stories. I have a story called Family Business. But um, next up is uh, a nonfiction book called Wanted, Undead, or Alive, which is about all the people in uh, folklore and in the real world who hunt evil. Everything from vampire hunters to FBI profilers who hunt serial killers. And that was co-written with Janice Gable Bashman, and it includes interviews with everyone from John Carpenter to Stan Lee to uh, forensic psychologists. That's a fun book. That'll be in August. In September, I have my first young adult novel called Rot and Ruin, and um, that is already getting a lot of buzz, including a lot of movie interest. Set fourteen. Rot, rot and ruin. Rot and ruin. Um, it's set fourteen years after the zombie apocalypse, but it's not really a horror novel it's more of a coming of age story set after the apocalypse and uh it's launching a new series and it'll actually be launched at dragon con down in atlanta um but it'll be in hardback from simon and schuster everywhere in september and uh i'm also waiting on word literally waiting on word right now about a tv uh adaptation of my joe ledger series and uh it was optioned by sony for TV, and um, apparently things are going nicely, but uh, can't share details yet, but it looks like things are going sure. nicely. Sure, and, um, So, so your young adult novel, that, that sounds, at first when I read a description of it, I thought it might be humorous, but you said coming of age, it sounds like it's 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 more of, of a, I guess, serious, not... not well, the, there's, a lot, there, there's a lot of serious stuff in it, and even, I mean, uh, Publishers Weekly called it, called it heartbreaking, but... Um, there's there's also a lot of humor. There's actually a lot of humor in everything I write. I'm kind of a smartass, so it kind of leaks through in my writing. Um, <laughs> I like I li- always like the the, the, the wisecracking hero, and um, I just seem to, to to put a lot of a lot of my own sense of humor in my books. Joe Ledger's definitely has a lot of humor to it, even though it's pretty serious stuff. And Rotten Ruin has has everything from comedy to tragedy in the book, and and it was a lot of fun to write. Great, great. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And again, that's Rot and Ruin, 
And you said that'll be out in August? It'll be out September 7th in Hardback. September 7th. Simon & Schuster. Great. And, well, I just finished the third Joe Ledger novel, and that'll be out next year, King of Plagues. King of Plagues? Mm-hmm. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Jonathan Mayberry, horror author, thriller writer, comic book writer. Mayberry's latest novel is The Dragon Factory in bookstores now. And you can also find out a lot more about Mayberry at his Big Scary blog at jonathanmayberry.com, where he also features interviews with other suspense, thriller, and novelists. So, again, thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. This, this has been a lot of fun. And I'm a big fan of your blog anyway. Uh, I've listened, I, think, I think I've listened to all 20 or 21 of your podcasts so far. Oh, wow. Thanks a lot. <laughs> great, great stuff. This is David Morrell, and when I'm not working on my latest thriller, I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest interview. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast in iTunes. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store, and it takes a minute or two to leave a quick review of the podcast. And that way, more people can find the podcast, because the more reviews and ratings a podcast has in the iTunes store, the more they feature it and the more prominently they feature it. So hope you enjoyed the interview. Until next time, read some good books and support your local independent bookstore. And I'll be back soon with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.